Hi, and welcome to IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. I'm Chris Fault, uh, Executive Editor of Craft and Special Projects at IndieWire. I hope you all have been enjoying the great podcasts that Sarah and Jim have been doing of late. I know I have, uh, but I'm looking to get back in on the fun. And so today we are going to be talking about bros with writer-director Nicholas Stoller. Nick has been behind uh, some of the best comedies of the last 20 years, but as a director, he's not someone that we talk about a lot. One understands following this Apatow model, why with something like a forgetting Sarah Marshall, Jason Siegel is the creative voice that's seen out front. Um, and of course, we're, we're, we're seeing that right now with Billy Eichner, uh, with bros and, and all, all credit to Billy and um, Jason for the work they've done. But Nick is really one of our better comedy directors and writers working today. He's an incredible collaborator. But when you start looking through a body of work like this, it's hard to not see a commonality, which is him. And so it was really fun to talk to him about all of that and, and kind of the way he worked with Billy on this one and a little bit of uh, Sarah Marshall, which I which is a film I love. Bros, it's in theaters tomorrow, Friday, uh, September 30th. Uh, please see it. It is the first LGBTQ rom-com. It's, it's also R and it's a studio film. So, you know, these are things that are worth supporting, especially with a cast that's all LGBTQ. But honestly, I, I you know, there's another aspect of this, which is that we got to start supporting comedies. Uh, Rom-coms are becoming as rare as gay characters. And uh, when you have a good one like this, um, we want to make sure that it gets in theaters and we get that collective laugh, uh, which, which you don't get at home. And here is my conversation with Nick. You know, one of my favorite and a lot of people's favorite uh, comedies for the last 20 years is forgetting Sarah Marshall. And I, 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 I have a distinct memory. I never listened to the commentary tracks, but that movie is one I've watched so many times that I did eventually listen to that track of, of you and Jason. And I will never forget something from that. And it's always made me want to ask you about finding your way into directing. Cause in there, you and Jason are talking about, I think it's one of the bar scenes just in, you know, in the hotel. And it's, I guess the, probably the first day you were shooting you're obviously now a very prolific director, but it was fascinating to me you talking about the fact that you didn't understand really basics of coverage or like, and there was things and Jason started joking. He's like, yeah, I got a little nervous when you didn't know what the first AD had to come in. I don't remember if it was shot reverse shot or the 180 line or something like this. I know previous you had done a lot, you'd done some writing, done some writing for Judd, but I'm wondering, I, I always wanted to know about you finding your way into directing and that experience because most people don't make one of the best comedies in the last 20 years. Uh, you know, their first shot out of the bat, especially it doesn't really seem like you'd been, you know, thinking about this your whole career. I, I wonder if you could talk about that and finding your way into directing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I know exactly the scene you're talking about. Uh, and yeah, I remember that. Um, yeah, I mean, I always wanted to, I was always obsessed with comedy writing and I always wanted to uh, write for television, but really write movies and direct them ideally. So it's always been a dream of mine uh, to direct. Uh, but I never, I couldn't figure out how to like direct a short film. I figured I would just direct, I would find my way into it through writing and i also didn't think i would end up being a director i thought it was it was kind of like a you know if a, if a guy can dream kind of thing um and what happened on sarah marshall it was just very lucky i i had worked uh in tv um you know i'd written for uh i got hired um on undeclared which was judd's second show after freaks and geeks and and judd and i kind of hit it off and he kind of became a big mentor figure to me and then i I wrote, I was writing screenplays at the same time to try to break in on that side. And then he hired me to write a movie for Adam Sandler that went well. And then he and I wrote a Fun with Dick and Jane together, um, which was made, uh, the Sandler made, movie wasn't made. And then, um, 
And I had become friends with Jason Siegel uh, through Undeclared. And then Judd started to make movies and he made 40 Year Old Virgin. And it was, and he had this moment of kind of leverage, which hasn't stopped since then. And I was talking to Jason about what he was working on. I think it was on the Knocked Up set. And, I, and he told me about Forgetting Sarah Marshall. And he and I kind of share a similar sensibility and worldview. And we both, um, I think, unlike at the time, like, you know, I think it's everyone changes, but at the time, like, Seth and Evan were really into like guy friendships and stuff and different people. But, but, but Jason and I were really into romance and like, like girlfriends and like love and all of that, you know? And so he and I started talking about his movie. And then I said, could, if I helped you kind of rewrite it, cause at that point I'd written a lot of screenplays, which would, would you like me to direct it if Judd wants me to? And he was like, sure. And so then I went to Judd and asked him and Judd thought that was a good idea. And so, and then it just happened very quickly. And I hadn't really, I mean, I had thoughts of like what I wanted the movie to look like, like, like the idea of a, of a miserable guy in paradise was very funny. Like the idea of a picture perfect postcard of, of a guy crying against the Hawaiian sunset to me is the movie. Um, but in terms of coverage, which is weirdly complex or like, at least for me, hard to get my head around, I did not understand it. And that day it was the outdoor bar scene. It was with Paul Rudd. Uh, Paul Rudd had, did a huge favor for us and flew in like the day before to to do the movie, like just for like no money, just because he just thought it was, was fun. So he was it was awesome. But we, he, you know, he hadn't figured out the character yet. None of us had figured anything out. That day we started shooting, and Paul was hilarious. He's so funny in the movie. But there was coverage that I just literally didn't understand that there's different kinds of coverage between like you know if there's you and me, there's coverage between you and me. I mean this is very obvious. And then if there's someone next to me and I'm talking to them, there's coverage between here and here. And I just like literally. For whatever reason, I'd worked on a lot of stuff. I'd seen a lot of movies. I don't know what was wrong with me. I just didn't get it at all. And like, and I could feel everyone on the set was like, what is going on? And I was like, I'm not going to pretend to know what I'm talking about at all. And it's still something that I like, I don't, I never pretend to know. I'm always asking questions. I'm always saying, I don't know. Cause there's always people who know more about, you know, your job as a director isn't to be an expert on every department. It's to know the tone and really it's tone. And I think that's why Judd supported me. He knew that I shared the tone, a tone, a similar tone with him, and I shared a tone with Jason, and that's it's all tone. And so at the end of the day, I, I figured it out somehow by the end of it. Um, although there is one scene in there where the eye lines are literally wrong, and it bugs me every <laughs> single time. <laughs> like, it's like every time I see it, I'm like, God damn it, the eye lines are wrong. <laughs> no, I, I think I think for a lot of first time, second time directors, I, I think one of the biggest mistakes they make is not letting go of the fact that they don't, they don't know everything. And, and, and more more embracing what more embracing what you what your strengths are and then where you're going to lean on in, in this case coverage you know this is something there's I'm sure there was people there that could help you and help figure this out and how to break it down and it's like but that kind of it, it does and it does tend to be mostly I've noticed a lot of male uh, first-time directors too it's like a lot of their mistakes weren't simply because they were green it was because they they didn't let go of the fact that that they didn't know everything yeah there's confidence in just being like I don't know anything like <laughs> like I know the tone I know what I think is funny I, I I know when you know and I had some I shot a lot of options on that movie that I would not shoot anymore stuff that was too broad stuff you know because I was just scared but I kind of knew when I had it um uh, you know and that's I don't know it's a, I don't know if it's instinctual I don't know what it is but it's something that you know but then I would shoot a lot of crazy options I remember there was a scene we shot and Judd called me and was like you're shooting way too much broad stuff and I was like I I'm just I'm just scared I don't know you know so that was you know I feel you like know, if you get like, that note from Judd that you're shooting too much <laughs> that might be 
Yeah, he wasn't worried. That, that might be like Scorsese calling, calling and saying you're moving the camera too much or something. Like I feel yeah. like <laughs> he wasn't scared. I was shooting too much. He was, he didn't. I was shooting a lot of very broad stuff, oh, too okay. broad stuff. Okay, yeah, yeah. Broad. yeah, and so yeah. yeah, and so that was like something that I kind of like learned to on that movie to trust my instincts and to trust the to trust that the more honest something is, the funnier it is. You know, I was surprised to read. Um, I was doing some research. I I saw the film at TIFF, which you got. Uh, by the way, like one of the best screenings I've, you know, I mean, that was a great screening. I mean, I, 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 I'm sure you're going to have a great weekend, but I don't know if you're ever going to get a screening like that. That was insane. That was crazy. Yeah, that uh, was one of the most exciting moments of my career. But, you know, but I was, I actually just started reading about this today um, in pre- pre- preparation for this. I was surprised to read that you came to Billy with this idea. Um, and I wonder if you could talk about that I, um, in, in, in kind of, I mean, you guys, I worked on the script, I think, together for a long time, but I'm wondering what was that original spark that made you want to come to him beyond, I mean, obviously he's a very dynamic performer, but I'm, I'm wondering what, what, what it was. Yeah, I mean, for, you know, uh, for a long time, I love, as you can tell, I love romantic comedies. I like to make them. Um, and for a long time, I'd wondered where was the big studio uh uh, gay romantic comedy, like the romantic comedy between two men falling in love. Like, where is that big hard R kind of thing in the tone, in the, in the tone that like my tone, like super funny. And then suddenly you're crying like that kind of movie. Um, and, but I was like, I can't tell that story. I'm straight. It's not my story. So I was like, maybe I'll find a partner at some point to write this with, you know, and I've, you know, my movies, I build movies around comedy talent, like whether it be Sarah Marshall or getting to the Greek or whatever I'm building, you know? And so, I was interested in that, but I didn't have the right person. And then I worked with Billy. I cast, I loved him from, from Billy on the Street, obviously. And then I cast him in Neighbors 2. He had like a little part. And then I cast him in Friends from College, which was a show that I did with my wife for Netflix. And he was a really good actor, like much better than I realized. I didn't know he was a good actor. And then I we screened the first episode of that show in a movie theater. And every time he was on screen, the audience exploded in laughter. And I was like, oh, this guy's like a movie star, which was really exciting. And so I approached him about, you know, do, there's something electric on screen. He's just electric on screen. And uh, I approached him about, you know, I said, would you want, ever want to write a comedy vehicle for you? I think a romantic comedy built around you could be really interesting and funny. And he was into it. So we started talking about it. And that was five years ago. And how long did you guys work on the script? Because it probably took a while to get this one right, I imagine. It took a, what happened was, is it took a, a kind of normal amount of time and then the pandemic hit. So we were going, yeah, so we were going to shoot. And then honestly, I mean, uh, the pandemic, this is a weird thing to say, huge global tragic event, but it did help uh, the development. The extra time helped. Yeah, the (laughs) The extra extra, time helped. It always helps. You know, know, we kept working on the script and rewriting it. So, but, but it was in good shape. We we were going to shoot it March of 2020 and we had to shut the movie down, obviously. Um, So, yeah, so we'd probably written it, you know, we'd maybe written it a little bit longer than I normally work on stuff because we probably started, we started talking about it in the summer of 2017 and we were ready to shoot it in 2020. So, and then we, and then we had a delay and we shot it uh, basically a year ago. We shot it a little bit uh, over a year ago. We started August of 2021. And it's interesting to me, I know the focus is going to be on an LGBTQ story here, but I think there was something here inherent about telling a, a, a gay um, romantic comedy that I think very much fits into some of the ways, when I think of five-year engagement, I, I think of something that's not a traditional heteronormative, okay, once they get together, here comes marriage kids, you know, and it's like, it's almost like there's one thing that has to be solved here. And it's actually things are a little bit messier here. And it really feels to me like one of the things here is 
kind of the things that inherently keep these people from being able to let their, their guards. And a lot of it has to do with being gay and the guard they put up. Um, and and I, it's just interesting to me because it feels like I know you, Billy has this line in the press notes that I wrote down, you know, I'd never written a script and Nick wasn't gay. So it's like this kind of like <laughs> perfect partnership. But I do feel like there's something here that once I imagine you stumbled upon what would be here that was kind of inherent to kind of how you approach the form to a certain degree, right? Yeah, well, thank you. That's really nice. Yeah, that's really nice. Yeah, I mean, I think like, yeah, with Five Engagement, it was like, I'm always interested, like, I was like, what happens after the romantic comedy? So, like, what happens at the end when they actually try to make a go of it? That always seemed interesting to me, and that's what Fiverr Engagement was. And, yeah, I mean, I think, like, you know, I'm, as my primary role, weirdly, as a director, particularly when I'm making this kind of movie, but really with anything, is listening and, and kind of being open, and whether that being open in a macro sense to, you know, when I was talking to Russell Brand about his addiction issues and just listening and, and not not bringing anything to it, to a micro sense on the day we're shooting a scene, like, you know, the actor might have an issue with literally what's going on in the scene and we might have to rewrite it or change the blocking. Like, like if the collaboration is where the magic happens, you know, and, and, that, and everyone bringing, coming at the craft from a different place to me is how movies feel alive, I think, you know. And so, and it's the same with this. This, you know, I think of this movie as more of a comedy vehicle for Billy Eichner than I think of as a gay, as a romantic comedy about two gay men. Like that, like it's, it's a comedy, it's about Billy, you know, more than it's about I mean, and certainly he's thought a lot about gay life and gay love and all of that, and it has all that in it. But it's his point of view on all of that. And then, and then I also bring my own stuff to it. You know, I don't have like, I, you know, I think there's a million love stories in the world, and there's a million ways to kind of lead your life and and to fall in love. Or there's people, you know, who don't need anyone, who never need to be in love. You know, like there's every kind of, you know, but. Uh, the best rom-coms are about a character's search for happiness of some kind, you know? Um, like if you think about, um, I just saw, I, I missed it when it came out, but I just saw the worst person in the world, which is just incredible. And that, that she doesn't end up with a, in a couple, but that, that is kind of, it is a romantic comedy, I think. And she ends up content in some way. And you're, and it's a, and that to me is the goal is to try to have a character who's dealing with something, some sort of problem in their life or whatever or some you know and then they figure it out by the end and that's really what this was you know so there wasn't you know i was never like it's he i was like he has to end up with they have to end up together because it's a studio I, I, that was my only rule i had three rules for billy my my three rules for billy were it needs to be funny it needs to be honest it has to end happy uh just because there literally has been so few of movies like this that have have ended that way um and also the characters that we created should end up together it would be dishonest if they didn't you know um, but, and that was a long conversation we had, but that was, but that was it. I was like, everything else, like, let's talk about it. Let's, I'm going to listen to you. He's going to listen to me and we'll figure it out. Bobby and Billy have some similarities beyond, you know, being played by, by Billy. Um, and I, I mean, I don't, we don't need to dive into, uh, you know, how personal or not this is for Billy, but I, there is something here I, I, that I imagine was a con a discussion of, you know, what you're going to do with Billy. Cause he, you know, in terms of his physical appearance about that character, because I mean, he is someone and he has acted in, in including in your Netflix series, you know, he's not always the same, but he is something, there's something very distinct about him. And it's just interesting, the glasses and even the beard. And, and there was something, it's even just seeing him at the premiere that night, there's like, you know, clean shaven, a little sharper, you know, it, there's something about some of the choices that I think you and Billy had to make about him as Bobby and being the star vehicle, I wonder if you guys could talk about that and kind of like building out from this persona that is Billy to create this character that's Bobby. 
he plays a very different character in Friends from College. He's very kind of like buttoned up and you know, very like logical and not, not too emotive um, in that show. And he's kind of the voice of logic in that show. Like everyone else is crazy. And he's like the voice of the audience being like, you're all insane. Um, and in this, you know, it was important to both of us that he be a proper adult, that there wasn't, this wasn't an arrested development movie. This what there was never going to be. And I've shot them, but there's never going to be a montage of him cleaning up his apartment. That like, wasn't this kind of movie, you know, <laughs> this, this was like, this was a guy who really has his shit together and thinks he, and this is true of Billy too, I think, and I think he would say it. He did, he doesn't think he needs uh, a guy. He doesn't think he needs someone in his life besides himself. He feels very independent. He has a, he has a career that is satisfying. He has a group of friends that fill out his world. And, and so that was, you know, and so I think some of that stuff, I think the emotional core of the film is, is the emotional core of the characters. I think aspects of it are similar to Billy. I mean, you'd have to, talk to him about it. And then there are obviously differences as well. There's some pushed reality to, to, you know, as Bobby has kind of a breakdown as the movie goes on, you know, I don't, I don't know if Billy's had those sorts of things happen to him, but, but, you know, these sorts of movies are not completely dissimilar from, you know, like I would say the same thing with Jason Siegel and Peter Bretter and Sarah Marshall. Like he's, you know, there's some similarities there and there's like a pain there and there's like a, you know, there's dealing with some trauma, personal trauma, but there's also some differences too in how, you know, how that character behaves and how Jason behaves. Was there an element here, um, you know, because he has performed in other ways, but not to the point that he's a star and held the, the attention like this, which is different than maybe some of the supporting roles or even the characters that were used to Billy on the street playing. Was there an element of of finding where that movie star kind of who often you do, you do have to, when you're a movie star and you're holding a film, you got to do a little bit more with your face, a little less with your words. Was there, was there an element of finding that with him? And, and, and what was that like? Well, I would say I brought more expertise to this just because he hasn't been in a ton of stuff as an actor, which I, and which I knew is I knew that he could be as confident. And this is, this is, this is the key to why the movie works. He could be as confident as he wanted to and explain and explain and explain and be as like, whatever. And his eyes are sad. And that's all it is. And you see it in the eyes. And like, and, and eyes are everything in a movie. And his eyes are so expressive and they're kind of at war with what's coming out of his mouth. <laughs> and that's like what's funny about it, you know? So he can say whatever he wants and he would want to explain it, you know, it, it, in a way that I totally got. And it's always better to shoot it. But he, as we debated the script and talked about it and, you know, he would want to really explain everything, which you should do and which I always like to do. But I would say to him, it's going to all come across in your eyes. You don't need to worry about it. Um, and I think he was just like, he really wanted to make sure I think the industry really didn't know what to do with them. And I felt he, he felt he needed to explain himself a lot. So I think that that was part of it. And also it's just better to explain yourself in a movie. So like a movie are really our characters just explaining themselves over and over again to the audience. Um, but that's, I love so, that's part that's, that's part of what he's kind of overcome. It's like his own, yeah. his own explaining is almost, yeah. he's like, he's built all these walls and all these explanations and so aware of it. It's like, it's, it's like, that's, it's almost that part that he's got to overcome all these walls yeah. that he's, he's, he's put out there. Yeah, exactly. He has to get over it and he has to kind of just stop talking for a second and just, you know, just like be in the moment. And I think, so yeah, so it was, you know, that was the only, that was the only thing. And I, and I, and I was never, I don't know if he was, I was never nervous. I was, I was like, this dude's a movie star. It's going to work. And I kind of just knew it. I mean, I, I, I knew having, I've also, I also had directed him already in Friends of College. So I knew he had the skills to do the emotional stuff. I wasn't, I don't know. There wasn't really, I wasn't really concerned. He might've gone into it with anxiety. I don't, you know, he's pretty, he, again, he's a pretty confident person. So I'm sure he had some anxiety, but he also just, delivered hard every day and was so prepared and, you know, as was everyone on the movie, but am I right in assuming for a film like this, 
um, this is a larger ensemble than you might necessarily, you know, when you start putting together a romantic comedy, how many, how many people we have in this? Is, is that true? And if so, it, I'm wondering what was some of the thought process behind that? How many, how many faces and how many comedic voices we have in this one? I love a giant comedy cast. And I think I've kind of always had a big comedy cast. I like, you know, like if you like Sarah Marshall, there's like the hotel, there are people who work at the hotel. There's like Jason's brother and his wife. And there's, you know, there's like, I mean, it's not quite as big as this, but there's a fair number of people. There's people in LA. There's like the recording studio person Get into the Greek. There's like the recording studio, the people who work for Diddy. And then there's Elizabeth Moss. There's like a lots of same with neighbors. There's a whole fraternity. And then there's like Seth. I, it's always fun to just have lots of com different comedy voices because you always have someone new to go to. Uh, and it's like, it makes the movie spicier. Just it's, there's a lot of different kind of comic voices. Um, and so that was, you know, our goal in this, we, we, in order to make it super, super funny, we knew we needed a lot of different comedians. And then when we decided to cast an entirely LGBTQ cast, it presented us with a gigantic opportunity to have so many funny people from so many different, uh, you know, walks of life who have so many different kind of, uh, uh, tones to them, you know? And so that was, that to me is just what's fun about, you know, Jonah Hill said something really, uh, uh, observant to me where he was like, he knows a movie's going to be good when every day he shows up and it's a completely different movie. And that's like true of this movie too. Like there'd be, we'd show up and it'd be the museum board scene. And then we'd show up and it'd be like Luke and Billy walking in Provincetown. We'd show up and it would be like, Amanda Pierce and Luke's family. It was like every day it was different, you know, which is cool. I imagine the screenplay is very good. I haven't read it. Um, and I, I don't want to say that you and Billy didn't write a hell of a screenplay, but to a certain degree, when you have that, it, it, when you're talking about all those voices, is this something that in the editing room you like, because you have so many voices, because you have so many places you can go, it kind of helps you in, in putting this together in terms of finding, you know, not to say that, you know, you've completely restructured this, but that sense of of comedic tone and where to go if you have almost these different flavors and places to go in terms of of making a giving it some flow and some comedic flow. Yeah, well, it, it gives you always options for jokes and options for comedy. And um, and then, you know, I always find the same thing happens as I'm working on the movie. I like fall in love with all the side characters. And then when we're cutting the movie, we cut it to story every time. Every time we're just cutting it to story. You can maybe go like a little bit to the left. It's always fun. Like one of my favorite jokes in the movie, which is so silly, is the, is the like weird Kamala Harris impression that just makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I, and it is this, but if your movie is all that, that it like, it's like yeah. frosting, you, you kind of get enough of it. Uh, you're generally cutting to story, you know? And so, and with this movie, like the most important dynamic is obviously Air, uh, Billy and Luke's dynamic. You know, that has to be the most interesting. And then you have all this other stuff around them. And there's so many funny scenes that could have been twice as long with all of these different characters. But a movie demands that you cut it to story every time. Uh, and when you don't, as an audience member, even if you're laughing, when you get that weird bored feeling in your stomach, that's because it's not cut to story. <laughs> that's, like, <laughs> that's like, that's the feeling. You know, I know you know the feeling when you're like, well, this is funny, but why am I bored? It's because there's no story or because it's, 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 it's loose, it's too loose or something. You know. I'll tell you, the zingers come so quick in this one <laughs> that I feel like I missed half of them in Toronto because that was such a rowdy crowd yeah. that I, I, I often found myself 
you know, hearing on the other side of the joke that I missed. And it's like, there's, there's a thing here. And I don't know, maybe that's something you got in the room. And, you know, I'm thinking in particular of the the, the museum board, you know, you've got the, that wonderful crew there. It's like, yeah. <laughs> you can really, it's like almost like <laughs> how quick they can come with all these different, uh, with all these different voices. Yeah, that was so cool. I mean, it was like crazy in Toronto, just like you could, didn't, we couldn't hear half the movie or a quarter of the movie. It was nuts. I, but that was really exciting. Uh, that was so exciting. Do you do as much improv like Judd does? I mean, I think we all I have a I have a pretty good sense now of what a Judd set is like and and obviously once again a lot of script, but obviously he's letting letting performers go and and trying to find moments and is is that something have you adapted that from his world to a certain degree? Yeah, it it kind of depends on the actor. You know, some actors are really comfortable with it, some actors aren't. Um on this movie, we didn't have that much time to shoot. We had, th- you know, as you know, we had 34 days to 34 shoot 34 days shocked me. I would have thought yeah. this was... Fi- I, I, yeah. <laughs> you keep... There's this whole thing. It's like the big... It's a big studio rom-com. I'm like, no, it's 34 fucking days. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's crazy, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, that's like the highest compliment anyone's given me. They're like, it's crazy I pulled this off. We had... You know, we got an extra day. It was 35 days. We just, got for, a, just for readers' understanding, when we have these conversations with Sundance filmmakers, they're usually working with twenty six or something like that. Yeah. That's like that's like you know. So just just to be clear here, this, this is, yeah. And this thing comes this in at like two twenty like, or something, two fifteen. It's like it's like it's not. This thing's a meal. It's, yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this yeah, this has to. Well, the it has to just in order to deliver joke after joke after joke. If you're doing like kind of a more if you're doing an indie movie that doesn't need to be that funny, it's it's a different thing. But to deliver this many jokes, you need time to do it. And so yeah. And that honestly, I one of the I mean, I did friends from college because I wanted to creatively, but I also directed most of them because I wanted to practice getting faster. And and also just having shot, I couldn't have done this at the beginning of my career. I knew what I needed. I knew when we could move on. And then also we'd worked on the script for so long by the time we shot that we had a lot of extra jokes already written in the script. I did have time to do improv. I would do improv when I when I felt I needed to. I often do improv to loosen, to make the actors looser. And to make it feel more real, it's 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 almost less about. I mean, certainly you get funny jokes, and with certain actors, they're geniuses, and they get really funny jokes. But it's less about that, and it's more about kind of making it feel more real. Uh, you know, which I'll which I'll certainly try. But a, a lot of it was written. We'd worked on it for so long that it was, and we also didn't have that much time that we kind of shot the script and moved on. This is a rated R comedy. It's got that wonderful kind of uh, raunch, being honest about the awkwardness of sex, and um, obviously here. And by the way, this play, this is going to play for everybody, but here you're obviously, there's this extra thing of like, okay, we're not just going to mainstream like a romantic comedy here. We're also going to have, we're going to have gay sex and throuples and things like this, Um, which you kind of hit on head on. But one of the things that I, I kept coming back to as I watched this is how often the sex scenes were absolutely hysterical and often incredible payoffs for all of the insecurity or all of the, all of Billy's hangups that he has from like, uh, from, from, uh, from it, it almost becomes this thing where it's like you want they you start to realize with um both characters luke's character as well this that that so many of their hangups are coming from this this gay sex culture where it's like yeah, i wonder if you could talk about that because it's it's um first off it's hysterical but i have to imagine that's also something if we're going to do this there's also a, a comedic safeguard in how you're going to handle it yeah to me it's like if you're going to do an r-rated romantic comedy there has to be sex in it i don't know you know, that sex is a big part of relationships and, you know, that they're always the most honest and fun scenes. And it, I don't even know if Billy and I talked about it. It was kind of unspoken between us. I mean, I'll say, too, that the thing about Bill, Billy and I is we're very different. He's gay. I'm straight. But 
you know, he, I have three, I'm married, I have three daughters, he's single, but we also, but then we're also very similar. We're both like middle-aged tall Jews who like have a lot of the same references and the same tone. We have the exact same tone. Every time he, we see a movie, we agree on if whether we liked it or not every time it's crazy. And like, so we do have this strange, like he's the only person who, re he referenced this very, pretty obscure Andrew Lloyd Webber play that he saw called Aspects of Love that like, I don't think anyone's seen that I, I saw and like my brother and I listened to the music over and I was like, you've seen Aspects of Love? Like, it's just like, you know, so to that, so there is this like, so anyway, sorry, that's a side comp, but, 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 but we like, you know, but yeah, but sex is a big part of relationships. And so I think like, you know, in order to establish what his dating life is, we have the grinder hookup at the beginning. Um, to Billy's credit, I was always like, don't we need a bigger set piece here? Like, don't we need some kind of bigger set piece to open the movie? And he was like, it needs to be this. It has to be like this raw and honest. And I was like, okay, let's, you know, I, I trust him. Let's, let's try this. Um, also, we don't have time to shoot anything else. So we'll shoot this. Um, uh, and fortunately it just works. Like the honest, the audience can't believe they're seeing it. And it's like very real um, and funny. It's just funny. It's also funny. It's inherently funny to have two strangers show up, have se you know, have some sort of sexual interaction and then leave. That is an inherently funny idea. And then, and then the sex scenes are always just an expression of the characters. So when they, when Billy and Luke get together for the first time, like they're trying to be masculine. It's very important to them that they be tough and masculine. And so that's, that's what's happening there, you know. Went with a very traditional score from from a legend. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that and why that was important for 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 this one. Yeah, I mean, Mark Shaman, when we announced the film, he immediately over Twitter, I think, contacted Judd and was like, "Do you want, you know, I hear you're making a rom com. Do you want the guy who's done all the rom coms and also is gay or something like that?" He said, made some joke. Um, and obviously, I've been obsessed with this score. This is a, uh, a, a, you got mail when Harry met Sally. Uh, yeah, is, you got mail is, when Harry met Sally. Uh, one other... like, he's done so many. So yeah, it was one of those things. Where, and he came in and started playing kind of the score, like his kind of like temp score for it. And instantly was like, oh my God, we're in a Nora Ephron movie. And that's exactly where we want to be. You know, it has a well, that, That's my question though. Why did you want to be? That's the thing here though, is because tonally, this is a little bit, it works. It clearly works. But I, I think maybe I always think of putting myself in like yours and Billy's shoes. I don't know necessarily. I would think that I'm in a Nora Ephron movie is where I want to be for something like this. And But it seems to be that was something that was important to to both of you from from the start. And that, that's kind of what I'm curious about. The score is beautiful, but I'm, I'm wondering why why you kind of instinctively knew that you wanted that. It very quickly landed there. I mean, we knew I, I knew I wanted to be a classic rom-com in terms of its look. Like so Brandon Trost, who's the DP. And he did, he, I worked with my Neighbors, Neighbors 2, and on this movie, we knew we didn't want, Neighbors, Neighbors 2 is very hand, the whole movie's handheld, it's very rough, it's, you know, this we wanted it, it's basically there's very little handheld, it's very, like, um, smooth camera movements, there's a lot of dolly, stuff that I don't normally do, there's a lot of, you know, it's a very, it's a very, like, traditional romantic comedy in terms of the way we shot it. Um, and then when we were getting into the score, we were like, we want it to be, clear to the audience that this is a romantic film, you know, as funny as it is, it's romantic. And at first I was like, should it be, should the music be inspired by like club music? And then we were like, no, that's not this, that's not this kind of movie. This is like a traditional romantic comedy that, and it stars two men, but that's what it is. And like, there is a, there is a template that's been built, not just from Nora Ephron movies, but for the entire, you know, if you watch the apartment, there's a certain kind of music that plays there. If you watch, you know, Ernst Lubitsch movies, there's a certain kind of music. This is not a new thing. It's, it's slowly evolved to where we are now. And so I think we wanted to be part of that cinematic history and we wanted to inspire those feelings in the audience. And you can feel with the straight audience, particularly, that they, 
are, they sit down and they're like, I know I'm going to laugh at this movie, but I don't know if I'm going to feel that much. Like, this isn't my story. And that by the end, they're like, wiping away a tear. Oh my God, I'm in love with this couple. And, and part of that is, it's a huge part of it, is the performance and all of that, the performances, but it also is the music and how it looks. I read some stuff and I, the, the, the song at the end, spoiler, by the way, here, there's a song at the end, you know, turn <laughs> yeah, exactly. it off. We're, we're going to talk about it. <laughs> uh, and I read that this was Billy's idea and the way it came about and, 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 and whatnot. The question I had after watching the movie is there's an element here that I think of like, Hmm, this is interesting, but there wasn't a guarantee that that was going to work or that was going to work <laughs> as an end. And it, sat, it sounded like you kind of went along with it. Billy had a sense. But I mean, was there an escape valve if Billy singing a country Western song instead of giving a speech was was it going to? I always I, that was I was really wondering about that of like, was there it does work? But there had to be. Yeah. I'm not sure that was a guarantee. I'm wondering. I'm wondering what was going through your head, and and if you were thinking about, uh, was there an alternative of how to end this thing? Yeah, I mean, we shot. You know, for a for the entire writing process, I, you know, I kind of was trying to get Billy to have a moment where he really makes a big move uh, for makes a big gesture for Luke. You know, and he didn't feel like it was appropriate for the story we were telling. And, he, and we, it was a debate. We had this endless debate about it. And I was like, but it's so satisfying when the main character makes a big gesture. That's like a really... And so we had debated, debated, debated. And finally, we landed on, he gives a speech. His, his gesture is inviting, is kind of being vulnerable and inviting uh, Aaron to the museum opening. That was what we settled on. And I was like, I think this will work emotionally. It's kind of an interesting structure for a romantic comedy that the main character doesn't make the big gesture that the that his that the other person does um and then i think a few weeks before the end billy like was suddenly like i need to make a big gesture i have to you know <laughs> i don't know if he, he didn't say those words but i think that was like i think he suddenly was like oh this is like important and were you like were you like now you're listening to me two weeks out <laughs> no, no i'm never like I'm, I'm wrong so often like the number of times i'm wrong I'm, i happen to be talking about this this thing and i didn't have to Fit, no, no, I but I, I'm wrong so many times. I never say I told you so. There's like no, and he kind of um, he came to me and he was like, I, "I have this song idea. Do you think we can do it?" And I was like, "Let's do it. Let's 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 pull. It, let's let's do it." You know, making a movie is like putting on a play with your friends. You can you can just do stuff with that. And if it's so, we kind of pulled it together. Mark Shaman came over, you know, and uh, we he performed it live. Uh, so Mark was playing live, which I've it's always pre-recorded. Like that's Billy singing live. That's the music being played live. Um, and then as, a, as soon as he performed it, as soon as he played the song for me, I was like, this is going to work. But as a safety, I did have him just give a speech and walk off the stage. And I shot it as a safety just to make sure in case it felt cheesy or I don't even know what. Um, but I knew it would work. It was one of those things where all of us were like, oh, my God, this is so moving and sweet and funny and cute and adorable and all the things you want for the end of a film. You'd mentioned Brandon before, who you've done their movies with. And it was funny, that was the first time a Brandon Trost credit surprised me at the end of a movie, because often Brandon is someone that people turn to, such as yourself. It's like, it's not to say there's anything radical here, but it's often to avoid the pitfalls of how modern comedies look, you know, and they don't, and I'm going to be frank, they don't look good and they don't, they're not pleasing. And, and Brandon's often helped a lot of directors um, find ways to, to find 
avenues around there. And what's interesting about this one is, and the reason the credit surprised me, is there is something very traditional in, in a pleasing way of the look of this film. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about your collaboration with him as in, in, in general, but also as it, as it relates to this, this film. I mean, he's one of the, those DPs who will one day graduate to giant movies and I'll never get to work with him again and I'll be sad because he's like a does, genius. Does he he's want so, that though? I, I mean, he I mean, does, I think every, does, I mean, I think he loves doing, he loves doing uh, comedies. He loves every kind of movie and he loves collaborating with people. He's just the, he's just the best guy. Um, he also comes from a very old Hollywood family in an awesome way where like his grand, I think his gr- grandfather, great grandfather would like was a stunt guy on Westerns, like crazy, like, you know, that sort of lineage. Um, uh, but, uh, but he's just like so talented. Um, and yeah, I first worked with him on Neighbors and he just created the crazy club lighting. We wanted it to like enter, like when we were in the, that frat, we wanted it to be the coolest looking, you know, party you've ever seen. And he just like brought this. And then when we weren't in there, we wanted, to, I wanted it to look pretty rough, like pretty handheld. I always say I want the lights to be off. Like whenever I'm, I mean, you can tell in my office right now, I don't have all my lights on. I'm always slightly annoyed in a movie or TV show when all the lights are on in a room. <laughs> it's just like a very like, you know, and so I was like, let's just always have the lights off in the house and stuff. So, and that was, you know, there's some action sequences and we had that Neighbors 2 too. We had big action sequence. Um, and then with this, it was a very different thing. I mean, we wanted the club lighting to be really beautiful when the meet cute kind of between um, Billy and Luke, that we that we needed that to be beautiful. And so we had this kind of dark, gritty lighting with these flashes of orange and red that were very beautiful uh, over uh, Luke um, and Billy when they're meeting each other. And then, but then for the most part, I actually, I, as I would say, I wanted the lights on in the apartment. I wanted it to look soft and pretty and inviting, warm, very inviting, you know, um, which is what I did with in Fiber Engagement as well uh, and, and Sarah Marshall, just trying to make it inviting and warm. And it's a New York, it has a real New York feel for a film that was shot in Jersey too. You, know? <laughs> you got, you got just the right amount of uh, city locations to, to, yeah. to give it, to give it that feel. Um, but congratulations on this one, Nick. It's good. I, I have high, very high hopes for this one this weekend. Oh, thank you. Uh, but Thanks so much. But regardless, it was, it's, it's, it's a wonderful film. Oh, thank you. I'll also say one other thing, cause I don't, I, I hate not giving credit. The 34, 35 day shoot was also due to Carl Frankenfeld, my line producer, who really stretched a dollar. <laughs> and, you know, that was very impressive. So, um, who also comes from TV. So, uh, but thank you. I am fingers crossed for this weekend. Yeah. 